I'm Father Ron Shibley, founder and director of the Anglican Internet Church, and I welcome you to episode 38 in the fourth edition of the AIC Bible Study video series, The New Testament Gospels. At the end of this episode, I'll point out where material used in episode 38 appears in the AIC bookstore publication, The Gospel of John, Annotated and Illustrated. In this episode, I continue my discussion of the seven signs reported in the Gospel of St. John with part two of two on the fourth sign, the healing of the man born blind and the raising of Lazarus. These two are the last of the five signs which are unique to the Gospel of St. John. St. John's Gospel is renowned for its spirituality, that is, the sense of the spiritual meaning rather than the literalist, historical, or academic meaning of events. One of St. John's themes is the concept of Jesus as the light versus the darkness of the world. In episode 37, I quoted from John 9, verse 5, spoken during the dialogue leading up to the healing of the man born blind, and which includes one of the I Am declarations, As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. As noted previously, only the second I Am in John 9, 5 is an I Am declaration. Later, in episode 39 and episode 40, I will discuss in more detail examples of St. John's treatment of contrasting images, including light versus darkness, good versus evil, and others. The illustration is a mid-19th century oil on canvas by William Holman Hunt from the Manchester Art Gallery, Manchester, England. In episode 37, the focus was on the actual, literal healing of the man born blind, followed by the first part of what I labeled as the aftermath. In this episode, the focus shifts to the spiritual aspects of blindness with the reappearance of the Pharisees, who throughout St. John's Gospel had been shadowing Jesus' movements. In verses 15 through the end of chapter 9, they show their real agenda. Their rigidity is revealed in their treatment of the formerly blind man. They obviously doubt his truthfulness and equally obviously hope he will answer their questions with something which could be labeled as blasphemy. The man's forthright answers are not what they wanted to hear. Here is St. John's account in verses 15 to 17. Then the Pharisees also asked him again how he had received his sight. He said to them, He put clay on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Therefore some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, because he does not keep the Sabbath. Others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. They said to the blind man again, What do you say about him because he opened your eyes? He said, He is a prophet. 
The illustration is a detail of the formerly blind man at the Pool of Siloam from an illumination in tempera and gold on parchment from the Codex Aureus of Echternach, made between 1030 and 1050 A.D. from the copy in the German National Museum in Nuremberg, Germany. Obviously disappointed by their failure to induce the man to say something blasphemous, they turned to the man's parents. The dialogue in verses 19 to 25 is illuminating. The parents evade, as St. John points out later in verse 22, which I have left out of the dialogue, because they feared being put out of the synagogue if they, they acknowledged Jesus as the Messiah. They let the son, who was of legal age, that is, over 13, speak instead. Their fear will be realized later in verse 34 when the Pharisees, quote, cast him out. In the end, as you will hear, the healed blind man was not intimidated by their pious oath, give God the glory. Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he see? His parents answered them, saying, We know that this is our son, and that he was born blind, but by what means he now sees we do not know, or who opened his eyes we do not know. He is of age. Ask him. Therefore his parents said, He is of age. Ask him. And so again, they again called the man who was blind and said to him, Give God the glory. We know this man is a sinner. He answered and said, Whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. In verses 26 through 33, the undaunted Pharisees bluster in the manner of their exchange with Jesus leading up to the before Abraham was I am declaration in John 8:58, which I discussed in episode 32 and episode 33. St. John reveals the healed man as one impatient with the tactics of the Pharisees and far more knowledgeable of theology than they expected when he lectures them. Their attitude and their actual words raise the question, Who is it who is blind? Part of the man's answer inspired John Newton's late 18th century Christian hymn, Amazing Grace. Then they said to him again, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Then they reviled him and said, You are his disciple, but we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow, we do not know where he is from. The man answered and said to them, Why? This is a marvelous thing that you do not know where he is from, yet he has opened my eyes. Now we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. 
Since the world began, it has been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one who was born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. The self-righteous piety of the Pharisees reemerges in their furious response to the man's refusal to back down and in which they make the greatest fear of the man's parents a reality when they cast him out of the synagogue. They bring back the Pharisaic argument about the connection between illness and divine retribution. They answered and said to him, You were completely born in sins, and are you teaching us? And they cast him out. Cast is derived from a Greek word, ekbalo. Casting out dissenters from the synagogue was a strategy of the Hebrew authorities, which they practiced against many followers of Jesus after his resurrection, and was a direct cause for many of them to flee from Jerusalem to Antioch. St. Luke records the casting out from Jerusalem and the stoning of St. Stephen the proto-martyr in Acts 7, verse 58. St. John records what happened next, Jesus' dialogue with the formerly blind man, which is found in verses 35 to 38, in which the healed man replies in faith that eluded the Pharisees. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and when he had found them, he said to him, Do you believe in the Son of God? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. Then he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus did not use this occasion to speak in verse 36, another I am declaration. In the final dialogue in verses 39 to 41, which ends chapter 9, Jesus speaks first to the now faithful healed man, revealing the intent of the incarnation, and then speaks to the Pharisees who were nearby. And Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may be made blind. Then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to him, Are we blind also? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin, but now you say, We see, therefore your sins remain. I close this segment on the fourth sign, the healing of the man born blind, with some thoughts on the meaning of spiritual blindness. First, the sin of the Pharisees was that they denied the truth of the words of the healed blind man in verses 32 and 33, that only one sent from God could have done what he did. In the actual presence of the divine, they denied his divinity. Second, as the blind man had said, the references to the blind man who could now see and the closing statement that he came so that those who do not see may see is a variation on the references to having ears to hear and eyes to see, which Jesus reveals through St. John in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3 in the letters to the seven churches of Asia Minor. 
third and finally, one of the most spiritually informative comments I have seen on John 9 is this quotation from the footnote to verses 35 to 41 in the Orthodox Study Bible New Testament and Psalms edition. The brilliance of Christ's light becomes an illumination to some, but a blinding glare to others. The dispute between Jesus and the Pharisees over spiritual blindness does not end, but continues vigorously into the opening verses of chapter 10, discussed in episode 33 and episode 34 in the context of the I am the door and I am the good shepherd declarations. The fifth and final unique sign in the Gospel of St. John, and the final topic in this episode, is the raising of Lazarus, described in John 11, verses 38 to 44. The time of this unique event was just a few days before the triumphant entry into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday in the year 30 A.D. The location is the village of Bethany, which was about two miles southeast of Jerusalem on the eastern slope of the Mount of Olives. This Lazarus was the brother of Jesus' followers and friends, Mary and Martha of Bethany, who feature prominently in the Gospel of St. Luke, and not the poor beggar in the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. The I am the resurrection and the life declaration in John 11, 17 to 37 was made during Jesus' visit to Mary and Martha. It is discussed and illustrated in episode 35, in which I also discuss the disclosure that Lazarus had been dead four days, and the Hebrew rabbinical tradition that after three days the soul was beyond being brought back by any means. The illustration is a second quarter 20th century map, the Holy Land at the time of the Gospels and Acts from my family Bible. St. John's account of the raising of Lazarus is not in the Gospel reading cycle for Holy Communion in the 1928 Book of Common Prayer. It is the second or Gospel lesson for evening prayer on Friday in the second week of Lent. Other denominations give the account a more prominent place in the communion service cycle. The illustration is a three-scene illumination in egg tempera and guilt on parchment from the Golden Gospels of Henry III, also called the Codex Arius of Speyer, made between 1043 and 1046 A.D. at the Reichenau Monastery, Reichenau, Germany. After years of ownership by Holy Roman Emperor Maximilian I, Maximilian's daughter and granddaughter, and the Bible scholar Erasmus in the Netherlands, it was purchased by Spanish King Philip II, who donated it to the El Escorial Monastery, part of the residence of the Spanish royal family, at the Real Biblioteca de San Lorenzo, San Lorenzo, Spain, about 45 miles from Madrid. I applied perspective correction technology to the original image from the World Gallery of Art. 
St. John's Gospel offers great detail, unlike the more abbreviated accounts in the three synoptic Gospels. In his account of the raising of Lazarus, in both his own narrative and in the observations of witnesses he records, he reveals the emotions of Jesus, demonstrations of the human side of his two natures recognized and made church doctrine at the Council of Chalcedon in 451 A.D. In this episode, I provide some context from earlier verses in St. John's account of his visit with Mary and Martha discussed in episode 35. In verses 11, 12, and 14, St. John offers this dialogue which was spoken on the way to Bethany. Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go to wake him up. Then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. Then Jesus said to them, Lazarus is dead. St. John tells of an incident much like St. Luke's account in Luke 10, 38-42 of Jesus visiting Mary and Martha and finding them in disagreement. In both St. John's and St. Luke's versions, Martha remained unquestioning in her faith in Jesus. Only St. John's Gospel records this accusation in verse 21 and Jesus' response. The question and her answer, which will be important later in the scene at the tomb of Lazarus. Verses 25b and 26 are part of the longer I am the resurrection and the life declarations. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. That's verse 21. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus' emotions are revealed in verses 33 to 35 as he finds Mary weeping at the tomb of Lazarus. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him. The illustration is an egg tempera and gold leaf on wooden panel painting in the late Byzantine style by Italian artist Duzio di Buoninsena, painted between 1310 and 1311 A.D. in his hometown of Siena, Italy, which was then an independent republic. Siena is now a city in the Tuscany region in central Italy. His work was highly influential in the world of art. The red and blue color of Jesus' garments and the vivid red of the kneeling Mary at his feet became typical in paintings following the style that emerged in the West after Duzio's lifetime. Only about a dozen and a half examples of Duzio's work have survived. Note that the facial features are clearly Western rather than Semitic. 
The Pharisees, who had been shadowing Jesus for a long time, could not resist making a sarcastic taunt recorded by St. John in verse 37. And some of them said, Could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? The illustration is a 15th century fresco of the raising of Lazarus at Pantanasa Church, Mystra, in Greece, near the ruins of ancient Sparta, from the York Project's 10,000 Masterworks DVD. St. John reports another display of Jesus' emotions in verse 38 and a colorful dialogue with a reluctant Martha in verse 39. His rejoinder to her in verse 40 recalls their earlier dialogue from verses 26 and 27. Then Jesus, again groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of the Lord? Throughout St. John's Gospel, more clearly than in any of the synoptic Gospels except in St. Luke's account of Jesus in the temple at age 12, Jesus asserts that in all that he did, he depended upon his Father. The point is made again in Jesus' prayer to the Father in front of the tomb of Lazarus in verses 41b, 42, and 43b. Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me, but because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. He cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. The illustration is again the early 14th century tempera and gold on panel painting by Duzio di Buoninsena. St. John's vivid and detailed narrative is captured in Duzio's painting. And he who died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Loose him and let him go. In the painting, the man who is closest to the cave entrance has his hand against his mouth and nose, suggesting skepticism that the risen Lazarus would not stink of death as Mary had feared in verse 39. Martha, clothed in vivid red, kneels at the feet of Jesus. Mary, with the company of the Jews who had come to comfort her standing behind her, is at Jesus' left. The craggy, sharp-edged mountain peaks at right and receding behind the center images are typical of earlier Byzantine icons, frescoes, and mosaics and continue to be shown in Eastern Orthodox icons and other church art. Beginning with Rembrandt in the 17th century AD, Western artists generally so show Lazarus raised from a grave in the ground rather than from a cave. In St. John's summary in verses 45 and 46, he writes that, quote, many, unquote, of the Jews who had witnessed this event believed in him, 
but that others, quote, went away to the Pharisees and told them the things that Jesus did. After this account, St. John takes up his account of the final stages of the Pharisees plotting against Jesus. The miraculous sign of the raising of Lazarus should never be considered a resurrection. Properly described, it is a resuscitation. No mention is made in Scripture of the fate of Lazarus, but Eastern scholars note that Byzantine art shows Lazarus dressed in burial clothes because he will need them again when he dies in the normal course of events. This concludes my discussion of the five unique signs which Jesus did and which St. John described in his gospel. The remaining signs, also reported in one or more of the synoptic gospels, are the subject of episode 39. Other AIC resources on topics discussed in this episode are available at www.anglicaninternetchurch.net where you'll find seasonal and Christian educational videos linked from the digital library page, Bible study videos from the Bible study page, podcast versions from the podcast archive page, and AIC bookstore publications linked using the virtual bookstore link at the bottom of the home page. Items of interest for episode 38 are from the AIC Christian Education video series, The Lives of the Saints. From the first series, St. Stephen is the focus of episode 3, St. John of episode 4, St. Mark of episode 7, and St. Luke of episode 15. From the AIC Bookstore Publications, in the Gospel of John, Annotated and Illustrated, The Raising of Lazarus is discussed in Chapter 11 and is illustrated on page 101. From Layman's Lexicon, Words of Interest are Ecumenical Councils, Faith, Father, I Am, Messiah, Pharisees, Righteous-slash-Righteousness, Sin, and finally, Synoptic Gospels. In Christian Spirituality, an Anglican Perspective, I discuss the spiritual discipline of Christian spirituality with emphasis on Anglican examples. In the St. Chrysostom Hymnal, Amazing Grace by John Newton, presented in six verses, is hymn number 892. In Revelation, an idealist interpretation, the uses of ears to hear, is discussed in Part 2, Chapters 2 and 3, on pages 13 to 44, with the text box, He who has an ear, let him hear, on page 36. Finally, there is Father Ron's blog, which is available using links at the top and the bottom of each page on the site. Entries usually include an illustration. The direct URL address is www.anglicaninternetchurch.net right slash blog with blog in lowercase letters. By clicking on the Follow Anglican Internet Church legend in the right-hand column and afterward entering your email address, you can register to receive notice of each new posting from our site host wordpress.com. Please be assured that we do not share email addresses or other information with any other organization. 
Thank you for joining me for episode 38. Next time in episode 39, I conclude discussion of the seven signs in the Gospel of St. John with the two which are also featured in the synoptics, the feeding of the 5,000 and the walking on water. Afterward, I will begin part one of seven in episodes focused on unique themes, details, and events in the Gospel of St. John. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be merciful to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Glory be to God for all things. Amen. This program has been a presentation of the Anglican Internet Church. We invite you to visit our website and use its resources at www.anglicaninternetchurch.net.